Um, how do I want to start this? How do I want to start this? I... Why does that feeling creep in? I mean, let's let's just face it headlong for a moment. Headlong, head on, I don't know. I'm really not trying to script this because that would kind of be flying in the face of the theme today. See, we're doing another episode about these ideas of maker monsters, these internal barriers that prevent us from doing the work we know is inside of us, or maybe even just from doing any creative work at all. Things like perfectionism, imposter syndrome, and of course, writer's block. So why would I write something today if I wasn't feeling good enough to write something that is itself good enough to become the something that you hear? So right now, I'm just kind of stepping out over the edge on a little wire with a balance beam. That balance beam is called all of the practice that I've done writing things, speaking to people on stages, through virtual events, through my show, through other shows. That's my balance beam. And it's the only thing I have to cling to as I walk out over this wire and there's no safety net below me. Just this gaping chasm that is causing me to really want to retreat back a few steps and sit comfortably on firm ground. And I assure you, I'm not doing any editing. I'm not removing the ums and uhs. Neither is Alana, my wonderful producer, Alana Nevins. No, this is just me in the moment doing what I know I can do. And it's all because of the practice. So we're going to talk about these ideas today. Writer's block and the importance of practice. But to do so, we're going to do it in Maker Monster fashion. Because if you've listened to previous Maker Monster episodes, and we're going to link all of them in your show notes, then you know this is not about me. This is about us and the things that we face together. So... As we hover above this jungle called our creative work, we're going to pick a spot, this little territory called writer's block. We're going to dive down below the foliage, below the trees, and we're going to mess around in the gnarly jungle and try and figure out, thanks to some very generous creators, how to grapple with this maker monster. It's mystifying, introspective, nuanced, confusing, challenging, and lots of other adjectives that I should probably figure out how to winnow down to just three as part of my writing process. Because it's unthinkable. A show about how creators trust themselves, not conventional thinking. I'm Jay Akonzo, and I want more creators like you to make things that matter. And so every episode, we tell stories of people who have made the leap between what best practices say they have to do and what their intuition was urging them to try. And yeah, that part was written. But this next part is not. How do I want to, what do I want to say? How do I bridge between the basic boilerplate that I repeat every time and the next section? Let's just go to some awesome voices talking about this feeling of theirs. Yeah, hopelessness, listlessness, this mental inertia. Almost as if you can think of your brain as a muscle and it just goes limp it just goes limp i just want to jump out of my skin and i just will do anything to avoid the discomfort of staring at the blank page like there's this thick fog enveloping it i have that brain fog and it extends to what to have for dinner it extends to what spotify playlist do i want to listen to like i can't make any decisions about anything 
and then the guilt swoops in, you know, how could I treat myself this way? You know, words are among the most important things in my life. Why don't I make it a priority? Growing up, we all learned about writer's block, this idea that when you're trying to write, you hit some kind of mental barrier. You stare at the blank page, you break out into cold sweats, you draft and redraft and throw it out and ah, and you picture that writer, or at least I did, in, I don't know, a dark cabin somewhere with a candle burning on an old wooden desk. And Maybe they have a quill pen in this analogy, who knows? But scattered around that desk and all around the writer's feet below the, the chair are crumpled pieces of paper because they have writer's block. Maybe they have that smash hit success. Whether it's a novel, like this fictional person I'm inventing in my head and now yours, or maybe it's that last tweet, that last article, that last podcast episode, whatever it is that you create or I create. We've done the thing before. Why, oh why, can't I do the thing now? Ah! This maker monster feels like one of the most powerful that we confront. It hides in our closet. And it peeks up at us from under the desk, and it crawls out from around our screen. Maybe it's the same monster, these are all just tentacles. But it traps us. We feel frozen in place, and we just kind of stare at the empty page, at the blinking cursor, out into this void that we face. Sound familiar? I'm guessing yes. I'm wishing no. And also, by the way, on top of all that, what in the world do you do when writing is literally your job or a major part of your job? You can't just be like, oh, I'm sorry, I guess I just can't today. I have writer's block. Here, there's a doctor's note. There has to be a way to outsmart this hairy, gnarly, tentacled thing. So let's get away from gazing at the blank page just for a moment. Let's wander back into the jungle together and hear from three very generous, brilliant writers on what this monster feels like to confront, or maybe doesn't feel like, because they've beat it as they moved through their own creative processes and practices. First, we'll hear from Mia Pagliarello. Mia writes a ton professionally for her job as the head of creator community at Flipboard. She runs a newsletter on trends and trendsetters called Mia's Q. She also runs a podcast, which she's the host of. She worked with me to help develop this podcast. I'm very grateful to have worked with Mia, and I wanted to invite her on the show to talk about her experiences with Writer's Block. Her podcast is called The Art of Curation. Here's Mia. My earliest memories of writing online are probably from the late 90s. I worked at MTV Networks um, straight out of college, and um, my earliest memories are writing for their intranet. Next, we'll hear from Mark Schaefer. He's a globally touring keynote speaker, an educator, a business consultant, and an author of almost a dozen books now. He hosts the wonderful podcast called The Marketing Companion. And full disclosure, The Marketing Companion is a show that I appear on every quarter as a co-host, The Marketing Companion. So check us out, me and Mark talking over there. Mark has worked in sales, PR, and marketing positions for more than 30 years. And he's consulted all kinds of brands, big and small. Some of his clients in the past have included Pfizer, Verizon, and Microsoft, just to name a few. And he's been featured in NPR, Fast Company, the BBC, Bloomberg, and Wired, just to name a few. 
I've been writing professionally really since I was a kid. My first paid assignment was when I was in high school. I started working for the local newspaper and was paid for articles. So I've been writing for 50 years. So that's Mark Schaefer. And lastly, we have Beth Dunn. Beth runs her own newsletter, but she also has written a book and has a long track record of success writing copy and other content inside the products for great companies. That's right, not the marketing and the content for that marketing, but the product content. She's currently the head of product content at Practice Better. She's been a principal content designer for Thrive Global. That's Ariana Huffington's company. And she was also for 13 years a member of the HubSpot team. I still remember reading an article in the New York Times back in like 2001 about this new thing, blogging, and uh, the magic of the hyperlink. It was amazing. And I thought, oh, I want to do that. Now, I don't need to convince you, but of course, writing matters so much to our work. I mean, if I'm at a party where nobody is really from my industry and people ask what I do, I just say, I'm a writer and a podcaster. And maybe even just, I'm a writer, because really that's how I identify. I came up as a sports journalist. I wanted to write. I have a writing practice. I've written at least one blog post a week every week since 2005 on the internet, which is crazy. I think I'm now part of the olds, like officially, and some of the gray in my hair and my beard would suggest that. But anyways, no matter what I'm doing, whether it's giving a speech, talking to you right now, reading a script that I've written, whatever the project might be, even if it doesn't look like quote unquote writing, the engine driving everything is in fact that skill. Writing, to me, and I think to most creators, is everything. As Mark Schaefer says, I think about my writing a lot. It's a lot of work. And sometimes I'll get into a mood where, why am I doing this? What is this really contributing to my business? And I always come back with the same answer. Writing is everything to my business. In his book, Good to Great, Jim Collins talks about the flywheel of your business, what creates momentum. For me, it's my writing. I am known, I create new relationships, new business connections through my writing. So it's basically the most important marketing I do for my business. And Mia agrees. Someone I interviewed for my podcast said, writing is networking for introverts. And that really resonated with me. These days, it's, you know, it's table stakes to have like a personal brand out there and to create content around your areas of expertise. So I want to do that for myself, both to know what I think and to cement my reputation around those topics out there in the world. I also love reading and I aspire to be like writers whose books and articles I love. And I recognize that if I don't have a regular practice, I will never get closer to the idols that I admire. Of course, Beth Dunn also knows it's integral to growing her business and career. You know, I run a coaching and consulting practice on the side, and I do public speaking at, at conferences and events. My newsletter and other sorts of writings that I do support that. They help other people know who I am and what it is that I can offer in those areas as a coach, as a consultant, as a public speaker. And if I'm able to convey that sense of warmth and optimism in the writing that I do and in the speaking that I do, then it's, it's inbound marketing. Basically, I'm able to attract the people who are after that. As I like to say, people who have a Beth Dunn shaped problem. If you're looking for my particular brand of warmth and optimism and a quirky fun <laughs> and kindness, 
then we'll be a good fit. And if not, well, then that's, that's fine. Go, go and, you know, God bless. Writing is such a powerful way to signal if you are for someone, or as Beth said, if you ultimately are not. That's a big piece of getting your creative fingerprints all over the work. It's the stuff that AI just can't copy wholesale from you. And it's also the stuff that identifies you in the work as different from somebody else. As a lot of people like to say in the marketing world, if we white labeled it, in other words, if we removed the name and the logo, how would we know it was you? Creative fingerprints, your writing and everything that comes through in your writing is a big part of that. So it matters to what we do out in the world as we go to market. But it also matters to me as an individual, just as a person. I'm trying to process life. I'm trying to be fulfilled. I'm trying to make sense of my own thoughts and emotions and experiences. In other words, for what I do, and I would suspect for what you do too, writing is not just creating words and shipping articles or shipping any content. Writing itself is thinking. I've found that it's kind of a thought exercise to really know what I think. I've found that when I've written something out, it gives me the sort of ammunition to arrive at conversations, feeling a lot more eloquent and knowledgeable about whatever it is I'm talking about. Writing helps me think. I know a lot of people say that, uh, but it really helps me think out my thoughts and feel my feelings and live out loud in a way that I wouldn't be able to otherwise, because without writing, I just live in my head. And I just go around and around and around in a circle, over and over and over again, I get very obsessive. And so writing helps me get those out on paper and kind of remove them from the scene of the crime, get them outside of the framework of my brain where I can sort of look at them and say, oh, that's actually kind of not true. But a lot of times too, it will illuminate something I didn't know I was thinking. I didn't know I was feeling. This combination of something so important, both to our careers and businesses, and also so personal, so tied to our identity, our sense of self, our personal brand, if you will, it, it can make us feel, uh, well, frozen. And that is where we meet today's maker monster of writer's block. Mia knows this maker monster all too well. Writer's block is being your own worst enemy. It's making excuses because you're afraid of failure and it's staring at a blank page and giving in to other temptations and distractions. And I know the monster is there when I feel the fight or flight instinct kicking in, usually staring at the blank page or knowing that my writing time is coming up and I want to avoid it. I usually pick flight. And physically, this feels like a little bit like panic. I just want to jump out of my skin and I just will do anything to avoid the discomfort of staring at the blank page. I tell myself I have other priorities and I blow off my commitment. Mentally, it's an exhausting process and my brain just wants a quick escape from it all. So I'll do things like check social media or watch TV instead. I find that that offers short-term relief, but in the long-term, it only exacerbates the monster. So the monster is kind of brought out by the blank page, but then the monster also quickly gets ahead of herself. So the monster is like overly concerned with the results on the other end, the fame, the notoriety, the connections made, and not on the art itself. 
And the monster does not trust that the results will follow if you just do the thing consistently. So the monster makes me give up. It makes me say, oh, it's not worth it then. Let's go back to Beth for a second. If I have to write about something, and I, you know, I have to, and I'm on deadline, and it's just not happening, what it feels like is this sort of creeping inertia, almost like a, I think of what it, what it must feel like to be one of those 19th century Victorian heroines that I was constantly reading about when I was a teenager on the fainting couch, sort of slowly expiring from consumption or some mysterious 19th century disease. Like, just that lethargy and that malaise, that inertia, right? It's almost like my muscles are actually atrophying and freezing in place. I can feel a heaviness in my limbs. And mentally, there's this inescapable feeling and growing feeling of, like, hopelessness and overwhelm. Uh, Like, it's not even worth trying to talk about it, to write about it. All right, just to jump in here, Beth surprised me with what she says next here. I mean, I'm going to be honest, I think it's a construct. I think for the most part, it's a roadblock that we create inside our own heads. Sometimes I'll be blocked on some one thing that I'm trying to write. And, and I understand that, you know, a lot of times in my day job and in my side job, I have to write something. You know, I have a specific task that, I'm, that I need to achieve. But I don't think that in terms of being the sort of generalized writer's block that I think people tend to mean, like I can't write. It's like there's this paralysis of writing. What I think people often mean when they say they have writer's block is that they're not able to write the thing that they want to write, or they're not able to write it the way they want to write it. Okay, I want to say something that might make me, I don't know, feel antagonistic to you. I promise this is coming from a place of wanting you to succeed. Writer's block isn't real. Now, okay, people experience it. Maybe you experience it. Maybe you're experiencing it right now, which means, of course, it is real because we just experience life as perceived by our own senses and feelings and thoughts. So if it feels real to you, it is indeed real. But in the same way that you imagining like what I look like right now is a product of your imagination, like what is on my face? What am I wearing? Am I wearing a hat? What color is that hat? You're doing that, right? So yeah, it's real in a sense, but it's a story you're telling yourself and you can change the story to change what you're perceiving as real. So in that sense, writer's block isn't real. It's here. It's not real in the sense that, you know, this glass of iced coffee is real. I'm picking it up and undeniably, it's real. Um, Boy, that is way too sweet. I have not mastered making simple syrup at home, but the point remains. I don't think it's real. It's the story we're telling ourselves. And because it's in our heads, because it's not necessarily something out there that everybody else is experiencing the same way, it's unfolding inside of us, just like most of our maker monsters, quite frankly, if not all, that means that we control this monster. It feels like it's attacking us, but really, it's on our leash, and we can cage it whenever we want. So how do we do that? Well, let's go back to Mia really quick. what helped me beat the monster was to diffuse it and to take away its power. I had to work with a coach to do this. That coach is Jay Akunzo. 
yeah, Jay really helped me see that like I'm not trying to please everyone and that my people will find me. So even if it's just a handful of people, you know, they will find me and that's who I'm writing for. I'm also writing for myself. So I really owe it to myself just to do the work and trust that the rest will follow. Again, I'm going to antagonize you a little bit, or as the kids like to say on the internet, I'm going to make you feel attacked. (laughs) I feel attacked, Jay. Okay, maybe this is the truth you need to hear then. Here it comes. You tell me you have writer's block and I say, I don't believe you. Write me an email to tell me how it feels when you have writer's block. You wrote me an email. You can justify that. I don't think you have writer's block because you just sent me a bunch of words typed onto a keyboard to explain your writer's block or to justify to me why you actually have it. So you can write. So what's being blocked is not your writing. And that opens a door for us to walk through, feel that momentum, enter the house we want to be in, which is that creative place we want to sit and stay and feel cozy. You don't have writer's block. I think you have brilliance block because you're trying to be brilliant. You're trying to make it great right now. But you can write stuff. So write stuff. Here's what Beth says. You can write. I can write. And so that's that's my way through it. That's my way around it is, yeah, sure, that happens to me where like I just can't write that thing. I, I really need to find a way to describe that or write a paragraph about that or write a one pager or a chapter about that thing. And it eludes me. So I write around it. I write near it. I write opposite it. And all of those activities help me approach the thing. I definitely think of it in terms where the thing that I'm trying to write is being elusive, like a deer in the woods. My job is to show up in the woods and be trustworthy, be quiet and unobtrusive, and just show up every day with some seeds in my hand and wait for it to start to eat out of my hand. So my job is to show up and be trustworthy and to show it that I will do it justice, basically. Beth likes to share one specific story about writing a blog during the winter when spirits are low and the vibe is just kind of off around her. A lot of people I know had just gotten laid off. Everybody else was afraid they were going to get laid off. People are still dealing with this post-holiday low, the economic uncertainty. And my move in those circumstances is to try to raise people's spirits. And not with any toxic positivity, but I do like to encourage people is what I like to do. I have this weekly rhythm where Sunday night I sit down to write the rough draft. Wednesday, I'll sit down and take another look at it and reshape it. Thursday is final polish and ship. When I was feeling all these feelings and sort of taking the temperature of the outside world and saying there's this unease and anxiety out there that I want to address, my own life was actually a little chaotic at the time, not for the same reasons, for very unrelated and even unimportant reasons, but there was just a lot of chaos in my life going on. And when I finally did sit down to write that Sunday, we had just run one of those errands, one of those difficult things. We had dropped off our car in which we had hit a deer, traumatic, and there was this huge dent in the car. And so we had to drop it off at this body shop in this very dodgy part of town at the end of the day. 
And I have always hated driving down this particular road. I live where I grew up. So I have a long history with all these little neighborhoods all around, right? And this particular road has just always depressed me. I didn't know why. And especially when I have to go down this road in the late afternoon, in the middle of winter. Like when I think about going down Willow Street, that's what I think about. I think about the late afternoon light slanting in through the windows, blinding me a little, making me feel a little motion sickness. You know, it's midwinter and I'm in traffic. My mother's driving. This is the memory that I have of going down Willow Street. I am. And I avoid Willow Street like you would not believe because it always evokes this feeling in me. So sure enough, this is where the body shop is. The body shop is off of Willow Street. And I feel a little motion sickness. I feel a little nauseated. So I don't know what is going on, right? There's some memory on Willow Street lying in wait for me. There's a middle school version of me waiting on Willow Street. And every time I go down there, there she is and she ambushes me and I feel sick to my stomach and I wish I was home reading a book. So it happens again, right? We drop off the car and we drive home and it's time for me to write. It's Sunday night. It's my last block of undisturbed writing time before the work week begins. I have to write that first draft. I sit down and try to feel happy, (laughs) right? Because that's the job that I've set for myself is to be kind of perky and inspirational and there's hope and there's a brighter day ahead. And I am not feeling it at all. So I'm sitting down trying to write this thing and and I realize that it's not happening, that it's just not going to come. And so I write around it. So I write alongside it. I realize that I can't write a happy, uplifting post until I get through this this thing, whatever this thing that's been that's been waiting for me. And so I start writing about driving down Willow Street with my mom in the afternoon. And then I start writing about how, as an adult, I avoid Willow Street. And how today, as a matter of fact, I took a completely different way home so I didn't have to drive down Willow Street a second time. The other way that I go home is a set of back roads. And it goes past my old music teacher's house, Mr. Tourjay. I used to play the euphonium when I was in school, and he was my first instrumental teacher. And I go past his house, and I get this warm feeling inside, and I go, this is why I like to take these back roads, is because I go past Mr. Tourjay's house, and it makes me feel good, as opposed to Willow Street. And all of a sudden, I remember, (laughs) I remember what was waiting for me on Willow Street. I remember that that afternoon, when I was in middle school, Mr. Tourget had just told me that he was retiring. And the band room was always this place of refuge for me when I was that age. Middle school was very hard for me. It was very, very hard. And the band room was my safe place. And Mr. Tourget told me that he was retiring. And I felt bereft. And so the antidote to driving down Willow Street, I didn't realize. I always drove home past his house, where I used to have lessons, to make myself feel better. And so I started putting those dots together and I'm writing all this out. And I, I'm looking at the screen as I'm writing it and I'm realizing what's coming out. And I'm like, oh, see, I never would have known this if I hadn't started writing about this other thing, this thing that I didn't think I was here to write about, this thing that in fact was insisting that I write about it. And so I wrote about that and I wrote through it and I wrote alongside it. And this like, you know, happy, uplifting, inspirational post was still sort of sitting over there and going, you're still not going to write about me, are you? I'm like, no, apparently I'm not. (laughs) I was wrong 
about the post that needed to be written at that time. And I know that in this case, I have the freedom to say I was wrong about that. This is what needed to be written instead. But I think that's often true in my day job as well, you know, where I have a wrong idea about the thing that needs to be written. And if I just let myself write the thing that wants to be written, a much better thing comes out and a much truer thing comes out. Writing alongside it, through it, opposite it, all these ways to make the monster or the threat of the monster or the idea of the monster less powerful, less likely that it'll prevent you from moving forward. Just writing and maybe realizing also that the monster isn't real, that you don't have writer's block. Because again, you just wrote to me to tell me why you do. I want to turn here now to Mark Schaefer, he of almost a dozen books and hundreds, if not thousands of blog posts and millions of words and hundreds of keynote speeches and podcast episodes. And you get the idea. Here's what Mark has to say. I don't think writer's block is a psychological condition. I think it's really a matter of discipline and habit. So to avoid writer's block, I have four disciplines in my life. First, I'm aware of stories that are coming at me in my life. What I mean by that is we're constantly getting ideas for stories. We're bombarded with ideas. It could be something we hear on a podcast, something we see on TV, a question that somebody asks. So we really need to have the first discipline of looking at our life through the lens of stories. Number two, when those story ideas come to you, write them down right away. I have a a little piece of paper next to my computer and it's always there. So when people ask me a question or I get an idea being interviewed for a podcast or something, I'll, I'll just write that down right away. That's a very important discipline. The third discipline is scheduling time to be creative and to write. If this is a priority for you in your life, then you need to treat it like a priority. You need to schedule time to write and to be creative, just like you would schedule a date or working out or going to the office. The fourth discipline is being relaxed. Whenever you schedule your time to be creative, you can't really be pressured. You can't really be distracted. So schedule a time where you can devote all of your creative energies to your writing. For me, it's Sunday morning. There are no calls, there are no meetings, there's no chaos, and I can I can fully devote myself to the task at hand, to writing for that week. My view is if you follow these four disciplines, if you're aware of the ideas in your life, write them down right away. Schedule time to be creative and do it at a time when you can relax. You'll never face writer's block again. This is why I like to have a regular writing practice because you got to take a lot of swings at the plate, right? And so if I'm sitting down today and I am not able to write about the thing that I want to write about, well, that's fine because I'm going to sit down again tomorrow. I'm going to sit down again later tonight and take another swing at the bat. I can't have an all or nothing approach to my writing. It can't be now or never. It can't be make or break. It has to be just right now. What's getting, what am I writing about right now? And again, don't despair because even if you feel like you're going down a wild goose chase, in my experience, if you trust it, you trust the process, 
it will lead you to where you wanted to go in the first place. And I can't explain that, but it happens over and over again. You don't have writer's block. You have maybe brilliance block. You're thinking about manufacturing brilliance. The problem is that's not what creativity is. It is not the consistent manufacturing of brilliance. It's the consistent pursuit of curiosity, of frustration. You're using your writing to think, to make sense of things, not to share some amazing insight in pristine language all at once. Everyone I've ever talked to who's made anything special is presenting that special thing having gone through the suck. It's not coming out baked. It's a raw lump of dough that they shape and mold and scrap and add flour to, a little pinch of salt maybe. They knead it, push it, and rip it, and, ah, and shape it. And, ah. Finally, it's in the oven. And then even if it comes out not so great, guess what? They're going to do it another day because it's the discipline. It's the practice. And if you need a non-food metaphor, here's one. If I handed you a ticket and said, this is your ticket to your train for Friday at 9 a.m. to your next meeting. Get on that train Friday at 9 a.m. I don't know what you're going through the night before. I don't know what you're going through the morning of, but I would bet that you would find a way to pack your bag, grab your laptop, put your shoes on, and be on the train. The train is leaving the station. Not because you feel brilliant, not because you feel inspired, not because it's Friday at 9 a.m. The train is leaving. Get on it. Thanks for listening. This episode was written and edited by me with tons of production support on this one from Alana Nevins. Thank you so much. Really quick production note here. For Maker Monsters episodes, I am not interviewing anybody. Neither is Alana, quite frankly. But Alana has helped me figure out the right questions to send to wonderful creative people like Mark, Mia, and Beth that they then respond using their podcast setup or even just voice memos that we then stitch together in what I hope you feel is a beautiful quilt, a beautiful arrangement that speaks to you, that helps you feel seen. And so for these Maker Monster episodes, we always talk about let's create kind of the ultimate I feel seen stories about these Maker Monsters. But it's a tweak to our usual production, and I can't thank Alana enough. Huge thanks as well to Mia, to Beth, to Mark for their creativity and generosity. Their information is in your show notes. Give them a follow. Give them a thank you. If you share this episode, give them a shout alongside me. I really hope you do. This was their episode. And if you like this episode or others in the show, please consider my free newsletter, which is called Playing Favorites. I send it every other Friday, and every edition is a brand new essay exploring what it takes to make work that matters to yourself and to others. I write about craft, creativity, resonance, storytelling, and questioning conventional thinking. Subscribe free at jayaconzo.com, and everyone who does subscribe, you get a little welcome note, and I ask you how you found me, but also what question you have or what you feel challenged by. And I respond personally to your reply with some ideas. It's like a free little email of consulting or coaching for me that I love doing personally for you. And I'll share any sort of episodes or essays or resources I've built or found to help you. So you can subscribe to my newsletter at jayaconzo.com. And when you get the welcome note, hit reply. I personally read and respond to all of them. I'm back soon with a brand new episode of the show. But until then, keep making what matters. See ya.